Um, when I was, uh, when I was uh, a young man in elementary school, God had over and over again given me opportunities to hear about my need for Jesus. I knew I was a sinner. No one had to convince me of that. I, I understood there was a heaven, there was a hell. I've never seen either one of them, but I believe that in my heart because God tells us a lot about heaven. He tells a lot about hell. doesn't tell us as much as maybe uh, vivid, but, but enough I know that I don't want to go to hell. I knew that. I wanted to be saved, but I, I didn't know how to be saved com- completely. I, I had the understanding that Jesus died on the cross. I understood that he was buried. He rose again. But uh, one night in particular, on a Sunday night, my parents brought me to church, and there I don't know who was preaching, but I just know while that guy was talking on the outside of me, the Holy Spirit was talking on the inside of me, that I needed to be saved. And as the night went on, I was contemplating that. And I did not, I did not, uh, couldn't rest. And finally that night late, someone took the Bible and showed me how to be saved. And I'm so glad I got saved. When I came here, I was 13 years old. I surrendered myself to serve the Lord. And at the end of a Thursday afternoon youth conference, I, I told the Lord, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. I know that I have you, but I have not understood that you're supposed to have me. And you're supposed to make decisions for me, and I want you to make decisions, and I'll do what you want me to do. I felt specifically called to God to serve him. About four years later, I was sitting in a church like this one, much smaller. But uh, Brother Don Sis was preaching, and he insisted that everyone receive a faith promise commitment card. I was 17 years old. I was making the big bucks at Arby's Roast Beef Restaurant. Probably every bit of $57 every two weeks or something like that. Not too much money, but I was working regularly, going, playing basketball and, and in, our, in, our, in our school and, and participating in my senior year of high school. And he insisted everybody. I remember taking the envelope or taking the card and passing it down to my parents and, and other people in the aisle. And he said, I want everybody to take one. Teenager, you take one. I said, well, that's me. I'll take one too. And I took one. He said, don't fill it out. Put it in your Bible and begin to pray about it. We're going to talk about it for the next several weeks, days. And so I did. And that, that opportunity, I think, set a trajectory for my life that I'm just very grateful for. God did something that day. Uh, he provoked me to do something every week. Now, for every Sunday since that next Sunday of my life, I have, I have been provoked by God and have committed for these now almost 40 years, 38 years, I have given something every week not only my tithe that belongs to God, I don't want to steal from God, and he gives me $20, I give him two back. If he gives me $10, I give him one back. If he gives me 100 I give him 10 back. I just, that's an automatic. I think it's, it's dumb to steal, but it's really dumb to steal from someone that can watch you steal. Okay. So I, I, don't, I don't want to ever, I don't, I'm going to go to heaven owing God everything. I don't owe him any money because I know how much he gave me, and I know how much he gave him back. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm not better than anybody else. I'm just glad that I learned that lesson. But giving to missions I didn't do consistently until I was 17 years old. Now I'm 56. And so for these, for these 39 years, every week of my life, I don't think I, I've missed a week that I have, I have come to church and I have put my tithes to the Lord, my offering beyond that to, to my local church, and I give it to God, but I give it through the local church. That's what he tells me to do it. And then I've given something to missions. And I believe there's something to that that's very important. Now, God doesn't need our money. 
He doesn't need money. If you don't give any money, God's not getting nervous. He's not got a headache. He's not going to like, oh, what am I going to do? He doesn't need us. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. If you want to keep your money and you, I want to keep mine, he's not going to be nervous. He's, he's okay. He got along before you showed up. And he'll be okay after you, you, you fall off the planet. But in this lifetime, God gives us an opportunity to partner with him. He says, your labor's together with God. Now, it's God's idea to get the, get the gospel to the world. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. But he invites you to partner with him. Now, he's the one who owns everything. He owns you if you're saved. If you're not saved, you need to sign up and let God have your, have your sin so you can have his son. Don't go to hell from here. Make sure you get that settled in your heart. Don't let pride or procrastination or problems or injustices that you feel about God keep you from accepting his gift of eternal life. He's a good God. He loves you. He'll, he'll pay for your sin if you'll let him. It's a gift. It's not a reward for being righteous. It's a gift for being guilty. If you can understand your guilt before God, then you can understand his gift for you and that you receive it. But if you are saved, I don't want anyone, and I, now there are people who will do this, and there are people that are nervous about this, this, this very talk. Maybe you're listening online and you're struggling with it, or you're listening on the radio, or maybe you're here today and you're like, I just can't stand it when, when we get going through this situation. I don't want to be hurtful to you. Matter of fact, I want to be helpful to you. This is, this is all God. If you look what Apostle Paul said in this passage, he says, herein I give you my advice. For this is expedient for you. Anyone who gets a hold of these principles, I believe that, that you're the winner. You're the one who benefits. It's, it, it, there's a lot of people who benefit when people get involved in the partnership with God. But no one benefits more than the person who gets involved in the partnership. They're the blessed ones. And I believe this works independently. I believe it works corporately. So today I want to share with you, I want to start today and then tonight and then Wednesday night, three, three messages. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what is the method of faith promise mission? What does it mean? Now, the model of giving to missions is not in found in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's found in the book of, of Philippians. The model church that learned to give so other people got saved was the church at Philippi. Now, there was a church, the Apostle Paul went there, and he began winning people to Christ. He led Lydia and her girlfriends to Christ and her husband to Christ. And then there was the, the, the Philippian jailer who got saved. His family got saved. And uh, then uh, the demon-possessed damsel, she possibly got saved. And from that group, they're the only group. Now, Paul started churches in lots of places. But that was the only church at the time that thought, you know what? He's going to Thessalonica, 35 miles away. He can make tents, he can make a living, but let's, let's all of us send our money to help him reach others with the gospel the way he came to us. And so that church is the model of it. By the, by the way, 19 times in that book, joy is mentioned. You, are you interested in joy? You can't go down to Costco and say, give me a pound of joy, please. And I have another pound of peace. No, you can't get joy yourself. You have to get it from God. But a giving church gets more joy, in my opinion. A giving Christian gets more joy. And I want you to have joy because the joy of the Lord is our, it gives us strength. So 
But this is kind of what happened. Apostle Paul has been on a mission field for 14 years. He tells us that in chapter 12. Uh, at least 14, maybe 15. But he was sent out of a church of Antioch, and he and Barnabas went out. When they went out, they started, they started witnessing to people, gathered people together, ordained someone to lead them, and then they would frequently come back and disciple them and work with them, and then they would go to another town and do the same thing. And they had done this now, he's, he's, he's done it at least 14 years, because he says in chapter 12 that 14 years ago he was stoned at the, the city of, F, of uh, Lystra. So he had, he had been on a mission, on a mission field for at least 14 years, maybe 15 years. In that time, he had uh, won many people to Christ and established many churches. And he's back in Greece, in Macedonia now. He's in that area of, of, of what we call modern-day Turkey. He's in that area now. And so he is back there. He has been working in the church at Ephesus and training people. And while he's there... He wants next year to go to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified. It's where he was beaten and crucified. It was where lots of the early Christians got saved. There were 3,000 in one day and 5,000 another time. It was an unbelievable, and Jews from all over the world came. And anyone who accepted Christ saw, before his name was Paul, before he came to Christ, he hated Jesus. He hated Jesus, and he hated anybody associated with them, and he vowed himself to stop them from worshiping. And so he would do all he could do to get them arrested, to get them fired from their jobs. He created a lot of havoc and poverty and, and, and frustrations, and he killed people who believed in Jesus. He created widows and orphans. He had gone back to Jerusalem a couple times, and it was hard. Because when he would go to see the churches, he would see little boys and girls walk around without a daddy, and it was his fault. He'd see the widows suffering and struggling, and it was his fault. He remembers them getting fired from their work or having them arrested and taken away from their children, throwing them in jail, all for because they believed in Jesus. And while Paul was doing the mission work all of his world, probably now at least, uh, at least 20 years later, Maybe 25 years later, he's, he, is, he remembers the pain of the early church in Jerusalem and what they went through to get the gospel to him and to others. And now there are many believers that he has led to Christ in their churches. And he says, guys, I got an idea. My idea is next year I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I'm going to see possibly Pastor James and all the leaders there. And every time I've gone back there, these people are hurting. They've been persecuted and been given a hard time, and I want to do something. I want to do something to help them. And I want to help them two ways. Number one, with your testimonies, that your, their faith has brought salvation to the Gentile world. Number two, I want to help them with cash. I want to take a, a large sum of money with me. I don't, I'm not going to carry it. I'm going to ask you to carry it. I want to provide things honest in the sight of God and in man. I, don't, I'm not, I want to keep my hands off it, but I want you to come with me. And I want them to hear what God did to bring you to Christ. And then I want you for one year to take up an offering so that you can give it to the church of Jerusalem, that they can help the widows and the orphans and the people that are hurting so bad, partly because of me. 
and now because of many others who have persecuted them so that we could hear the gospel. What do you think about that? Well, the first church he pitched it to was the church at Corinth. It was a wealthy church. It was a church with, an, with money. It was a church in a metropolitan area. It was a wicked city, but people had good jobs, and they had money, and they had options, and they had travel, they had homes. There was a, it was a wealthier church. And so he pitched it to them. He said, you guys, you know, you're, you're saved now, and you're saved because someone else suffered before you came along. And I want to do this. So he pitched it to them. He said, here's what my idea is. How about everyone decide what you're going to do every week for the cause of world evangelism? For me to do this, excuse me, not for world evangelism, but to, to, to take this gift back. And he said, every week, if everybody would lay by in store as God has prospered him, above your tithe and offering, and make a commitment, and then one year from now, I'm, gonna, I'm going to come back through, and you can have the money you said, and we'll just have someone from your church take it with me, and we'll go there and be a blessing to them. Well, the people got excited. The church at Corinth got very excited. And they said, you know what, we're going to find out. And so he said, how much would you give? And they, they wrote down every week, you'll bring this, okay? How much will you give? Okay, how much will you give? How about you, Glenda? How much will you give? And then everybody put down what they would bring every week for 52 weeks. And then they added it together and they said, you know, everyone I talked to said they're going to bring this every week to the Lord and we're going to keep it in, and keep it in store. And then next year when you come, Paul will be able to give you this amount. Well, when he saw it, he couldn't believe it. He's like, you're crazy. I can't believe. You will have that much? He goes, That's, everybody's excited about it. And so they committed to do that. And then Paul went from there to other churches in like Macedonia and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and other places. But the, the equality was not the same. It would be like, like people in Chicago versus people maybe in, in, uh, in, maybe in Mississippi out on a farm someplace, or someone who's out in Nebraska, or someone that, that they're just, they don't have the same earning capacity. They're poor people, and they were afflicted, and they were, they were, they were poor. But in those churches, he said, look, I talked to the church of Corinth, and they told me they were going to give this, and here's what they're going to give, and I don't think anybody here would want, he goes, no, no, we have to give. Yes, we want to participate. Don't leave us out. He said, but these folks are selling eggs to bring to, the, to, to church. They're bringing rice and, and beans, and they're bringing that and exchanging that for that. It's not even close. But they, even though they were going through affliction and they were broke and impoverished, they were all giving gracefully. And now a year has gone by, probably 10 months, 11 months. And all these churches have heard Paul's mindset and his method, and they've all participated. But now it's time for them to go back to Corinth, and then from Corinth on into Jerusalem. And Paul remembers the church of Corinth, if you'll remember them, they are, they're good people. They're saved. There's a lot of good people in there, Stephanus, Achaicus, lots of good guys. But he remember how they were kind of carnal. They were, they were judgmental. They were, had issues and problems. And he was nervous that he was going to get all these other pastors. He told them how much they would give and then come there and then them not be ready. So Paul writes to them this letter. Titus delivered probably the first letter and he delivered this letter too. 
Titus is with him, and Titus is, is a strong leader for Paul. He's one of his younger guys, uh, and he works with him, but he's very excited. He actually introduced this idea to them as well with the Apostle Paul, and now he has delivered this letter to them, and he says, look, I'm nervous about the church at Corinth, because if I bring all these country pastors, and they've sacrificed so much, and I come to Corinth, and they're not ready, it's going to be egg on my face. And it's going to be embarrassing, and it's going to be disheartening. And I know they want to be ready, but maybe they just forgot. They, they forgot what they committed to. And I wanted to, I wanted to begin, I want them to give substantially, but I want them to give voluntarily. Giving to missions is not something you have to do. I think you need to tithe. If you don't tithe, I think you just should. Just, that's the minimum training wheels of giving. Say, Pastor, that's only in the Old Testament. Is the Old Testament God's word? Does it tell us the heart and the mind and the thinking of God? Is it only in the law? No, no, no. It was, it was in Abraham. Abraham, whenever God, when God blessed Abraham, he knew. And then whenever he saw the representative of God of Melchizedek, he said, hold the phone, Joan. Don't go anywhere. I want to give to you what belongs to your God. Here's my tithe. I mean, it's just a no-brainer. Before he closes out the last book of the Bible, Malachi, he addresses that. Jesus tithe. He commended the tithe. I think in the New Testament, well, pastor, it's, tithe is not in the, the Pauline epistles. You're absolutely right. You won't find the word there one time. I think it's, 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 it's not even necessary. After we know who Jesus is, to give less than the tithe, I think, is embarrassing. When we know what God's mindset was from the beginning, and now we know who Jesus is, we have the mystery solved, we can believe and receive in him, and then to give less than the tithe, I think God is going to say, are you kidding me? You want to fight about 10%? We should be given beyond that. And I think it was a mood point. I think, two, missions giving. Now, God will grow your tithe, but you and I need to grow our giving. You don't have to. You can stay at the tithe the rest of your life and go to heaven not owing God any money, but not giving him any investment in the work of the Lord, not partnering with him. See, you can tithe and not partner with God. You can give what belongs to him. He gives you a dollar, you give him a dime and say, you know, I'm partnering with God. No, you're not. You're being honest with the God who gave that to you. But if you and I want to grow in our love for God, we learn to give beyond our tithe. And that's something we can grow in. I think every, every Christian needs to grow in this area. Well, Paul is nervous that, that the church at Corinth is not going to be ready when he shows up with six, six representatives from that region of the world that are poorer than the church at Corinth and not ready. So he sends a letter, and Titus delivers it, and he shares with us in the Bible, God shares with us, chose to put this in the Bible to explain how God, uh, what Paul was thinking and how he talked to them about that. So one year ago, they had committed to give X amount of dollars every week, every individual, and have it ready for him when he came back, and then sending someone with them to go to Jerusalem to give it to them, their testimony. Okay, so we understand that. Probably took a lot longer than I should have taken on that, but I thank you for listening to me. Let's go to chapter 8, verse number 1. Can we please? Let's look at a couple thoughts here. Moreover, so he kind of talked about Timothy, Titus coming, verse number 13 of chapter 7. He says, Moreover, brethren, 
we do you wit, or we make you aware of the grace of God. The word grace in our Bible is found 130 times in our New Testament, in our Bible. Many of those are by the Apostle Paul. He is very on the grace, the grace word. And it's, it's what God can give or do through you. It's his, it's his inertia in your heart and life. But it also means giving. I want you to be aware of the giving of God and the grace and the help that God has given bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. These are poorer churches. Read verse number two with me. How that in a great and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. So he said, these people that, that are going to be coming with me from Macedonia, you need to know that these guys are really afflicted. They are persecuted. Remember, Paul was beaten in Philippi. The church was, they've had problems since they started. He said, they're afflicted, but they have joy. They're poor, but they're generous. That's what you need to know about. I want you to be aware that, that people who have less than us have more joy and they have more generosity than we do. It's a proven fact, the more people get, the less percentage they give. The more you get, the less percentage you'll give. That's, that's just proven. That's not something I made up. Uh, people oftentimes uh, will give less when God gives them more. It's just, it, I don't know what it is in our mind, but he said, he said these, I want you to make sure you know about these folks. These folks that I'm, I'm with right now, they are persecuted, but they have joy. They're poor, but they're extremely, to the, almost an embarrassing state, they're, they're more generous than folks who have more, okay? And by the way, right now, as we speak, there are people bringing rice and beans to God as an offering. There are people bringing eggs and chickens to church that they would love to keep themselves, but this belongs to God. All over the world, people who have less than you and I will ever think about giving are giving to the house of God giving to God through the house of God in unbelievable poverty. They're more impoverished than we'd have, and they give more aggressively than we give. That's happening now, and it happened then. Look at verse number three, would you please? For to their power, they could do what they could do, and I bear record, yea, beyond their power, beyond their own ability, because they had the grace of God there, they were willing of themselves. Once again, we want to give ourselves first. You have to give yourself first before you even talk about giving beyond that. Verse number four. They prayed us, praying us. They begged with us. They begged us. They pleaded with us with much entreaty over and over again that we would receive the gift that they had collected and take upon us the fellowship of the, the ministry of the saints. He goes, if those people helped us get saved, then we want to give. We want to be partners with this. We want to participate with this project. Now let's look at the next one, verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, they didn't listen to saying, no, don't do this. But they first gave of their own selves to the Lord. That's what all of us ought to do. Give ourselves to Christ, our support to the conference, our substance to the cause. But they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They participated with this project. Verse number six, would you read out loud with me? Insomuch that we desired Titus. So he said, I'm sending Titus, who kind of, you remember, he was here with me last year when we talked about this. I'm sending him to remind you the plan and the purpose 
and the opportunity to participate. I'm going to send him with you. So he said, he was with me last year. He's going to, be, he's going to come back. I'm going to send him because you know him, you respect him. And Paul's going to send two other people. Possibly Luke will go. We don't know. He doesn't identify their names in this book for whatever reason. But since two other men, I'm going to send Titus, I'm going to send two other men too, that you know they have a good testimony. And they're going to come too. And they come, they're going to explain to you what we're doing again, remind you of your, of your commitment and your responsibility. Okay? So that's kind of the purpose. Now let's look at verse number seven. Can we please? Thank you for following along with me. I realize this is not the normal Sunday morning message. And I understand what I'm doing today. I hope you understand it. I hope, you, I hope it'll, it'll set some light bulbs in your heart about what the what the purpose? Once again, this is a method that God put in the Bible to help hurting people. It's the same method First Baptist Church uses to get the gospel to missionaries. You know, the reason I like this method, because it's simple. It's everybody doing their, their, their commitment. It's, it's simple. It's simple for Randy and Laura. It's simple for Brother Al and Miss Sarah. It's simple for children. Ivana can do it. Anyone could do this. Every, every, every single mom can do it. Anyone. It's simple. Number two, it's scriptural. It's in the Bible. Number three, it's successful. It, it is the, there's no wrong way to give to missions. But this, in my opinion, is God's preferred way to do it. It's how, it's how more is accomplished. And it's how more people are blessed that participate in it. Okay? So it's simple. It's scriptural. It's successful. You mind saying that with me? It's simple. It's scriptural. It will work. It works when the church, it works in me. It works in you. It'll work for your kids. Okay? Let's look at the next statement. If we can, please, we're looking at verse number seven. He said, I'm sending Timothy. He's going to kind of help remind you of your, or Titus and remind you of this. Verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, he said, look, let me just praise you. Church of Corinth, you guys are really good at a lot of stuff. He said, you abound in so many things. The first way you abound is what? Faith. He said, you believe right. And you obey the Lord. You're basic, obedient, faith-filled Christians. Congratulations. Good job. What's the next way he says you abound? Utterance. It means you, you, guys, you guys teach the Bible. You, you give out gospel tracts. You try to get other people saved. You witness to other people. Boy, I would want our church to be that way. I would like for it to be a, a church of faith and a church of soul winning, a soul winning church. He said that's what this church was. He said you abound in faith. You abound in utterance. You abound in what? Knowledge. Because you guys learn the Bible. Every, you got HBI, by the way, if you're not involved with Hammond Bible Institute and you're supposed to be, Tuesday night can be a possibility for that. I hope you do it. If you're not in discipleship, I hope you'll be in discipleship uh, when it starts up again and do that. Because you need to learn the Bible. It's, it's important. It's not uh, the Bible. You're never going to learn what you need to learn with Pastor Wilkerson teaching you three times a week. Number one, I'm not that good of a teacher. Number two, you're not that good of a listener. And we all have to work to more, we have to spend a little more time doing that. So study the Bible. So you, guys are, you guys are good at faith, you're good at soul winning, you're good at learning, knowledge, you, you understand the basics. What's the next thing they're good at? In diligence. You're a hardworking church. Our church is not all it ought to be, but I love this asset of our church. I think that, that people are willing to work hard. You know, it takes hard work to get a song to sung and played like we just heard this morning. 
For two ladies, they, came, they practiced for weeks for that song that we heard in four minutes today. Someone had to learn to play piano, and Brother John did that, and they sang. It takes work to do it. It takes work to watch the nursery. It takes work to be a security guard, especially on a day like today. It takes work for ushers to come here early and do what they need to do, someone to drive a bus or to fuel a bus or to run a bus route, whatever, the work of God. These guys, are, you guys worked hard, and I commend you for that. And then he says, in diligence and in your love to us. He says, you know, I feel that you love me. He said, and I know you love, you love me as your missionary. You love me as the Apostle Paul, the one who brought him to Christ. He said, but I want you to abound, what does it say in verse 7? But see that ye abound in this also. It's in the grace of giving. He said, you're good at all these other things, but I want you to abound. When you see the word abound in the Bible, you're talking about something not like small potatoes. You're talking about something, he said, I want you to have a whole field. I want, you, I, want you to, I want you to really experience the blessing of God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 10, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to abound in this. Now, verse 8, and our time is just about up. We'll continue uh, this tonight. We'll cut this, this roll of bologna off right now in just a minute here, and we'll pick up the next of it this afternoon. Some of you said bologna could be exactly right, Pastor. That's what you're doing. Let's look, if we can, please, at verse number 8. I speak not by what? Okay, so is, he, is this a commandment that you have to do it this way? No, it's not a commandment, okay? But by the occasion of the forwardness of others. How did you get the gospel? You know how you got, got, the, got the gospel? Because someone gave before you showed up. Someone paid the utility before you showed up in the room. That's how it happened to me. The night I got saved, I didn't pay for the lights that were on in that building. I didn't pay for the heat. I didn't pay... For the pastor that was preaching for me, I didn't pay for the songbook I sang out of. I didn't pay for the pew I was sitting on. Somebody else gave before I showed up. Someone else prepared that. They, they did that. He said, because someone else gave before you came along, I'm going to use that as motivation for you to give now so someone else can hear about it. He said, this is the motivation because someone else gave before you showed up. And then what was the rest of the motivation? Would you look at verse number 8? And to prove what? Read the rest of it with me. See, you can, you can give and not love. People do it to United Way all the time. They give to charity. They'll, 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 put, they'll put their stuff and drop it off at Goodwill. So I've given a lot to Goodwill. You didn't do it because you cared about anybody. You just want to get that out of your garage, Spanky. You know? The, a person can give and not love, but you cannot love without giving. So I'm, I'm appealing to your motivation. I want someone gave so you could get it. Now you give so someone else can get it. And then I want you to give to prove if you really care, if you really love. So when it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. They give nothing. They, they don't give anything. They, they just think, oh, they're just takers. And, and, and they love, but they only love the person that, that walks in their shoes. They don't think about the love of other people. They're living the selfie life, take me a self all the time, rather than looking out a window of a need of the world. And once again, the world's cry. So he said, I want you, I'm not talking you have to do this, you don't want to do it, don't do it. And I say the same thing to you today. If you say, Pastor, I can't stand what you're doing, then don't give. It's not a commandment. 
But if you want to get someone else the gospel the way it was given to you, give. If you want to demonstrate sincerely, if you love, participate. It's not equal participation, it's just equal sacrifice. You can't give what I give, and I can't give what you give. There are other people who have a greater capacity to participate. But I'm not in a competition with you. You're not in a competition with me. We're in a competition uh, with what God has given us. The last verse, and then we'll, we'll stop tonight, this morning. Verse number 9, read it with me, would you please? And ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might... So he said, now let me give you one more motivation. Jesus. Jesus had everything, and he became poor, so I could have everything, and eternal life to boot. So Jesus is the model. So well, I don't have to give, you know, God so loved the world that he, who did he give? Jesus. Now, I don't have any idea what heaven is like, but I don't think it's nine below zero there. I think it's unbelievable. And Jesus left that so that we could enjoy that. You and I might want to let go of something that God's given us so that others can enjoy that too. Paul is trying to tell them, listen, you've got to get this. Because this is God's methodology. Because it's simple, it's scriptural, and it is successful. And when we do it God's way, it works. We'll talk about that over the next two times we're together. Let's pray right now. Can